Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a spectator's daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Heal and we're still in Manchester. We've got another day to go. You um, sound so happy. I'm very happy. And then, James, you're actually hitting up Brighton before Isabel and I get to Liverpool because you're going to the Green Conference. Yes, it's part of the Magical Mystery Tour. So I'm not even halfway through conference season. Uh, done Lib Dems. Done the Tories, got the Greens, and then Labour. Okay, so once you've done all four, you can do your review podcast um, of where to have the best time. But while we are in Tory party conference as well, the story that will not go away for Rishi Sunak, and perhaps he will try and make it a story himself tomorrow, is HS2. We have a situation where the Prime Minister has done a media round this morning, where he suggests decisions have not been made. Meanwhile, Downing Street sources, uh, or at least journalists report that Downing Street sources are suggesting a decision has been made. So where exactly are we? We're in a bit of a weird mess, really, because this has been rumbling on now for, what, a fortnight since the the um, the photograph document first emerged. And then uh, there have been plenty of people who have been happy to brief one way or t'other off the record. But you corner a minister or the prime minister in a broadcast interview or at a fringe and they will say no decision has been made. Can you ask me about something else? I mean, that was that was pretty much verbatim what Mark Harper said at a um, at a transport fringe on Sunday. Now they have been in the last couple of days, so since conference started, making the case for what they are about to do, which is that leveling up has never been about connectivity between London and Manchester. It's been about towns and villages and about people being able to get around particularly by road which is why we had this very proudly pro-car speech from the roads secretary Mark Harper um, yesterday and that's something that Rishi Sunak has has also been saying Uh, and so this is where the briefings have, have then taken us to this morning which is that while the Manchester to Birmingham link of HS2 will likely be scrapped and the uh, everyone's delighted that HS2 is not going to stop at Old Oak Common, which was a station that no one had heard of before, but is going to go to Euston, which is just a, a wonderfully choreographed uh, thing given the conferences in Manchester. Sunak is expected to do more on connectivity between Manchester um, and Leeds and reinvest the savings of around £36 billion from the HS2 um, Manchester to Birmingham leg in northern towns. Uh, So it's a sort of, it's a strange picture because uh, this has turned into a row when Sunak could have just come out and said, you know, two weeks ago, or at least at the start of conference, this is what's happening. Now, can we just crack on, please? Uh, For some reason, he's decided he doesn't want to do that. Um, I don't know whether it's that he's he's dithering internally 
or whether he thinks that even the um, the disadvantages of people bickering for a couple of days in Manchester are outweighed by the advantages of the grand media plan that he's got in place that he's not going to change. But it's it's currently messy. We've had the sort of old-fashioned spectacle of Andy Street holding a, a press conference, an impromptu press conference outside the Midland yesterday, which was quite kind of old school, I thought. But it's, yeah, in, in terms of conference media management, it's not been great. Um, so that's where we are in HS2. And I suppose, Isabel, just briefly on that, I mean, the argument you sometimes hear from, from Sunex defenders on this um, brilliant media strategy is effectively that oh, this is bubble, all you journos do, uh, you know, six blogs a day and the podcasts such as ours and most people aren't paying that much attention. So therefore, whether Rishi Sunak announces it two weeks ago or tomorrow, which sounds the most likely, or the autumn statement, it doesn't really matter. What do you think about that? I mean, I think, you know, we, we can obviously all get super overexcited about things within the sort of Westminster reporting group that, that, that don't matter. I, I do think, though, that... If you've allowed something to run on for that long, the, the, the chances of it being reported and picked up even just peripherally by voters who are rightly paying attention to their own lives more than they are to what's going on in Manchester are, are still quite high. And I think that that's the problem is that if you want voters to think that you're committed to levelling up and that you've got a clear what you're doing, this is not necessarily the strategy. I, I, I do buy that argument of, look, you don't need to bow to the demands of 24-hour news and and you know there have been times over the past few years where we've been getting annoyed that an announcement hasn't made for instance on Dominic Raab everyone's getting very annoyed that Rishi Sunak took like 24 hours to decide what to do about Dominic Raab when actually in a sort of you know more professional environment that would have been entirely reasonable it was more that people wanted something to fill their papers or fill their six o'clock bulletins. And James if in Rishi Sunak's leader's speech tomorrow he does confirm what many expect him to, do you think we're going to see much of a backlash from Tory MPs? I mean, Andrew Street's not going to be very happy. Mm. But there's not, I suppose, that many, in terms of the immediate reaction, yeah. there's not that many Tory MPs here. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, yeah, I think it's quite striking that thus far the most significant criticism has come from people outside Parliament. You look today, George Osborne was talking about tra- betrayal of the North, Northern Power House Partnership President, uh, you look at Andy Street, West Midlands Mayor. It's actually not the people in Parliament who are going around saying this. And talking to a lot of MPs, I th- I do think that a lot of the criticism that's dominated this this story, and I think partly because we need a narrative, and I think the main criticism of Rishi Sunak is that he hasn't really offered that narrative going into this conference season so much. I mean, maybe we'll see tomorrow with the conference speech. But it hasn't been as much of a backlash as you might have thought, given the scale and money committed to this project over the past decade. The one thing the HS2 story has managed to do, which you could argue is to Rishi Sunak's advantage, is it slightly pushed down, you know, which cabinet minister is on manoeuvres from the news at end, just a few notches. But Isabel, clearly that is one aspect when you look at the coverage, when you look also at the choices of ministers at this conference. So do you think there is a sense that uh, you have ministers positioning or are we overreading when, you know, you have James Cleverly doing multiple events and talking about things that go beyond his brief? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think the sort of multiple events thing is quite funny because it's sort of, you know, are they a leadership contender or are they yeah. just doing their job and accepting invitations? But I think when you've, I think what's more interesting is what sort of perspective, what kind of s- sight do uh, MPs have so are they being a sort of short-sighted and thinking about uh, the next general election which is quite close 
and which actually this conference doesn't feel like a pre-election conference, I have to say. Or are they all long-sighted and thinking about the next leadership contest? Are they having a battle for the soul of the party, for what conservatism stands for? And that is really, I think, where this conference is. It's, I mean, you know, it's cliche to describe it as awake. I don't think it is awake because, I mean, generally at awake, people are sort of drunk and celebrating someone's life, whereas I don't think there's much celebrating going on here. It's more a kind of, you know, what are we going to do next? Who's going to be in control? Which is why you've got Liz Truss doing her her rally. Even on, you know, the stage, Kemi Badenoch, who really went to great lengths to praise the brave Rishi Sunak and what a great prime minister he is. She did also set out her stall on, you know, what kind of conservatism she stood for and um, multiculturalism and tolerance and uh, and that sort of thing in a way that provoked the first sincere applause I've heard in the hall. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of thinking about the next contest, not the next election, which is a, a weird place for a party that lo- normally likes winning to be in. And I also think you look at the energy and the ideas, they're really coming from the two events I was struck by yesterday were the new Conservatives, where they had a whole new manifesto of ideas which weren't party policy and the trust rally. And, you know, simply put, it seems to be the ones outside government making the noise, which obviously the ones number 10 are pretty annoyed about. People like Jake Berry with his uh, t- tax pledge, 33 Tory MPs have now signed that, and uh, not to raise taxes in any event. Uh, the new Conservatives with some, you know, quite punchy ideas. That would, I would say, be the ones where people will see, view that as positioning. Although, I have to say, I've been coming to eight Conservative Party conferences and there's always a fair amount of self-advancement in whatever speech is made at any one time. And I suppose, you know, we're, it's, a, it's the morning after the night before when it comes to Liz Truss's <laughs> star turn at Tory conference. Do we feel, I mean, clearly I think it worked for Liz Truss in the sense mm. it showed that she still has an audience within the grassroots and, um, you know, people who are happy to queue outside a room. Very proudly figures, you know, I spoke to who've been at that event say, we had the longest queue of the entire <laughs> conference. And you almost can see that parallel that they're trying to draw with the Chuck mm. Checkers event that Boris Johnson did a few years ago. Do you remember that the queue spiralled and spiralled and it was seen? But I, I just wonder, is an, it felt to me as though people were quite excited. It was a bit of a novel event at Tory conference, but it didn't necessarily lead to much of an impact after. No, and also, like, are we still in year nine at school? Like, you know, this I mean, kind of, oh, we had policy. the longest queue. My dad's got a better car than you, that kind of stuff. But uh, again, <laughs> maybe we should just sort of suspend our disbelief. I think it's worth looking at what this looks like outside um, of conference to anyone who is paying attention. And most people don't even know it's Tory conference because they have better things to do with their life. But um, <laughs> yeah, and that's a that is a disgrace. But we've got the former prime minister who voters are still quite angry with because um, they blame her for what's happened to their mortgages uh, or their inability to sell their house or whatever. But the former prime minister having uh, the document that blew up those mortgages being you know signing those signing that document and having a sort of congratulatory tour. You've got Claire Cattino, the energy secretary, uh, doing a really painful interview with Sophie Ridge on Sky where she was repeatedly asked about her claim in her speech that Labour wants to tax meat and was sort of burbling along uh, quite convincingly about other things she thinks Labour are going to do wrong, but had to eventually admit that there is no such thing as a meat tax being proposed by the Labour Party. And I think, you know, you've obviously got this row about HS2, but but I, I think you've got this, these kind of increasingly ludicrous claims being made by quite serious Conservative figures about what Labour wants to do. You know, they want to tax meat. Or you've got Susan Hall, who 
was claiming last night at a fringe uh, that Sadiq Khan has really scared Jewish people in London, for instance. And I think it sort of just looks a bit silly. And again, not a party that's particularly serious about about winning. I mean, is is a is a made up meat tax really the best thing they can say about the Labour Party? I think that um, you know Katie wrote a good column a few I think several months ago, which was about comparing Rishi good Sun- memory. Rishi Sunak's which issue? James? Go back and sh- subs, please check uh, about the twenty fourteen reshuffle and contrasting that with like you know at the end, the end of a Parliament trying to refresh your team. That twenty fourteen conference had ironclad message discipline. There was a long term economic plan, and it was really clear how kind of small, the short, medium, and long term all fit together quite nicely. The policies all came back to the same route. And I think there is that real kind of it's quite disjointed. So you see things like reports that Rishi Sunak, for instance, could announce a smoking ban tomorrow at the same time as also changing HS2. There isn't a kind of real real overarching theme or narrative here. And that's why in that vacuum, in steps a figure like Liz Truss, passionate, energetic, and fills that. And I would really, I'd say, the second most interesting party of the conference after the Spectator one tonight was last night's GB News. And there you saw Liz Truss turning up, Nigel Farage, Priti Patel, and of course, that was the same kind of, they were all there at the trust rally earlier yesterday. And I think that's a kind of sign of what we can expect after the next Egypt contest when there'll be calls from certain bits of the Tory party to kind of deal with some of those pe- people like, like Nigel Farage and kind of the free market, right? And so I think that'll be a really interesting one to watch in future. Um, but for now, I think the pressure is on Rishi Sunak to almost bring those parts tomorrow to, for his speech and see if you can make a narrative. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.